This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, we now come to a time of scripture reading. Uh, so today's passage will be coming from Luke 21, verse 22 38. So let me invite our sister up uh, to read the scripture. Luke chapter 21, verse 20 to 38. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against these people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. This is the word of God. Thank you, Sister Hui for the scripture reading. Uh, now in, invite Pastor Andrew up uh, to give the sermon. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, we really want to thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus' words to us about the future. And we pray that as we listen to his words, we will prepare for that future. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, many years ago when I was working uh, as an accountant at HP, I remember we used to go for lunch and drive out all the time. And one day I'm driving with my car and my colleagues are in the back seat and beside me. And we see a car accident. I said, hey, Andrew, slow down. Like, hey, why? No, no, slow down, slow down. We need to get the number plate so that we can know the number for the 4D. 
So actually, essentially what they were trying to do is they're trying to figure out the future, right? And I realized talking to many non-Christians over the years is actually many, many people are really interested in finding out the future. So I've known family members and relatives and friends who get their palm read. Some other people consult mediums or even tarot cards. Others rely on astrology and horoscopes. But seriously, in all my experience, I've never really come across anybody who's actually had their future really accurately predicted or told. But today, Jesus wants us to know a future, right? A really certain future which we need to pay attention to. This is like really, really serious business. But before we actually get to what Jesus says, we need to remember the context and the background of what is happening here. And we have to go all the way, way back to verse 5, right? So in verse 5, the disciples were looking at this beautiful temple. We saw last week that it had been 80 years in the making. It was beautiful. But Jesus had said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. So that's the original context of today's passage. The disciples went on to ask Jesus, Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And as we saw last week, the question has a few parts, right? When? What is the date they want to know of this future event? And when will these things happen? And we said that these things here are not just the destruction of the temple or destruction of Jerusalem, but the context suggests that they are also asking about when the kingdom of God will come, when the Christ will come, when the end will come. And together with all these things, they're asking for signs, right? What would be the sign that these things are about to take place? So that's the context of what we're looking at here today in verse 20. Now, in verse 20, Jesus says, When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Now, so Jesus here is addressing very specifically the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And he says the sign when you know that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and the temple is going to be destroyed is that it's going to be surrounded by armies. Now, we know that Jesus spoke these words in about 33 AD, okay? It's 33 AD. So Jesus, in verse 24, also says that Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. So 33 AD, in the minds of the disciples and the original hearers, when they hear that Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by these Gentile armies, immediately who would they think of? They would not be thinking of most anybody else, but the superpower of the day, which would be the Romans, right? the Roman superpower, the Gentile armies which would surround Jerusalem. Now when this happens, Jesus says, you will know that Jerusalem's desolation is near. That Jerusalem's desolation is near. We've come across this word before. It's not exactly the same word, but it's a very similar word that is being used earlier on. And this word desolation literally means a wasteland, abandonment by people because the place has become destroyed, right? There's nothing there, so people have all left. So earlier on in Luke chapter 13, Jesus has said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, Often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. 
Right, so the idea is very similar. The idea of how Jerusalem itself will be a wasteland where people will not stay. Your house is desolate, abandoned. Again, Luke chapter 19, same idea, right? As he approached Jerusalem, we read a few Sundays ago, he saw the city and he wept over it. And in verse 43, he gives a very similar idea to what we're reading today. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the grounds, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus says that this event of the the Romans coming against Jerusalem is not just a normal, random event in history. It's not some random bad things like, I guess, a country attacking another country, but really it's God bringing judgment upon his own people, right? his own city. It's a time of punishment. It is wrath against his people because they had failed to recognize God's coming on them. They killed the prophets. They stoned his messengers. If you remember the parable of the tenant and the landlord, they had rejected God himself. And God was going to bring punishment on these people. Now, when God punishes you, it's a terrible thing. It's a dreadful thing. And this time of punishment for Jerusalem is described in, in these terrible words, right? How dreadful it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers. It will be time of great distress on the land. They will fall by the sword. They will be taken as prisoners. Jerusalem will be trampled on. Now, because these terrible events are coming, Jesus wants the disciples to know, and he warns them, that when the time of God's judgment comes on Jerusalem, when you see the Roman Gentile army surrounding Jerusalem, what do you need to do? Three very strong, explicit commands. Flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and those in the country not enter the city. Now, when we think of the geography at the time, Jesus is actually saying, okay, this is Jerusalem, okay? It's not enough just to flee Jerusalem, but if you live in Judea, right, it's like, if you live in, the, in, in where Jerusalem is, in Judea itself, you've got to flee to the mountains, you've got to get out. So you've got to run to the hills. So you think for a moment, okay, like... Um, you know, when they had a tsunami in, uh, in, in, uh, many years ago, 2004 in Phuket, the only way to escape the tsunami was to run to the hills, right? If you go to Phuket for holidays, which I often do, you have all these signs saying, okay, this way to escape the tsunami. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. When you see the Roman armies surrounding Jerusalem, run to the hills, right? Head for the hills, head for safety, get out of Jerusalem, not just Jerusalem, get out of the region of Judea itself, because when the tsunami of God's wrath comes, it's going to be really terrible, and you've got to get out. Now, as we look at this passage then, it's 33 AD when Jesus predicts Jerusalem's end. In 70 AD in April, indeed, Jerusalem is surrounded by the Roman armies. There's this guy, uh, his name is Titus, okay, but not our little Titus. But Titus Caesar Vespasianus, who will become the emperor later on, who surrounds Jerusalem with four Roman legions 
totaling 60,000 trained centurions and another like 20,000 logistic people. Okay. And indeed, it was a really, really terrible time. So within Jerusalem, as a result of the siege, there was great famine. Uh, there were horror stories which are recorded by historians of, of cannibalism, of mothers eating their children, of parents snatching food from their children, of people eating leather belts and shoes and sandals and, and, and all this stuff. There was great death even before the Romans broke into the city. But apparently when the Roman legions broke into the city, they were so, I guess, angry with the, with the Jewish people for holding out for so long that, the, that they disobeyed uh, the general Titus and they just randomly killed everybody in the city. Civilians, children, helpless people, they were all massacred, right? Because they would no longer obey their commanders. So, but that was the human cost of the siege and the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, last week we saw this uh, artist's rendition of what Jerusalem would have looked like during the time of Jesus. It was a huge metropolis, one of the wonders of the world, the temple in Jerusalem. And indeed, what Jesus said really happened. Not one stone was left on another. According to the Roman Jewish historian Josephus, when they finally conquered the city, Titus Caesar gave the order that they should demolish the entire city and the temple. The destruction was so, so thorough that they even dug up the foundations to the buildings and the temples. Right? It's not enough that you level it to the ground, but you actually dig up the foundations, right? Such that there was nothing left to believe that you could actually live here before. So today, if you go to Jerusalem and you look for the temple, all that's left is the west wall. And apparently, the only reason why the Romans left this wall was because they needed some place for their soldiers to build the barracks and to have a shade. That was the only reason why they left this wall. So if you think about it, what Jesus said really happened, right? What Jesus said was really true. But the million-dollar question was and is, did the Christians of the day heed Jesus' warning? Did they flee to the hills? Did they hit for the hills? Did they heed the warning of Jesus when they saw the Roman centurions scattering around the city. Well, according to the Jewish, uh, the, the church historian Eusebius, who lived about 100 to 200 years later, the Christians who lived in Jerusalem during the time actually did heed the warning of Jesus. They fled from Jerusalem and they went to this place called Pella, uh, which is now modern-day Jordan. You can go visit it today if you want, but there's nothing much there. So this is Pella, okay, and you can see it's kind of like on a mountain up on the, below the, uh, above the Jordan Valley. And so this is what Pella looks like today. Obviously it's uninhabited, but you can see all these uh, archaeological things. You can see it's on a hill. But we see from Eusebius that those who believed on Christ, they received this oracle, right, that this is the time to leave Jerusalem. And so they fleed from Jerusalem and they went up to this place called Pella. The interesting thing is, <clears throat> while the Christians were actually leaving Jerusalem during this time, the Jews were actually doing the very opposite. They were going into the city because it was the Passover. Now, this Titus Caesar guy, 
uh, was quite a smart general, I suppose. So what he did was, while they were surrounding the city, it was three days before the Passover, and he allowed the pilgrims to all go into the city because he knew that with all these people in the city, it would be easier to starve the city right when the siege began. So he allowed all the pilgrims to go into the city, but he had no intention to let them depart. And he would trap them into the city. So at the very same time as the Christians were escaping the city to safety, the Jewish pilgrims were going to the city to their death. So what do we actually see in history? We see that Jesus' prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem, not one stone left on another, of great death and destruction, of desolation came true, right? But at the same time, we see that the Christians of the day, according to church history in Eusebius, actually listened to Jesus. They obeyed Jesus' command and they fleed and they left and they got out and they went to Pella and therefore they were rescued and saved. Now this is history. I mean, obviously today we are March 2023 and that was April 70 AD. But this is relevant to us because in this passage, Jesus doesn't speak of the end of Jerusalem, but now he speaks of the world's end. Right? He's now talking of the end of the world. So what does Jesus say now about the end of the world? He says, There will be signs in the sun and the moons and the stars on the earth. The nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now, the sign here of the end of the world is not Roman centurions surrounding the city, right? But rather, there are cosmic, celestial, and creation signs. The sun, the moon, the stars, the roaring and the tossing of the sea, heavenly bodies being shaken. Right? So, extraordinarily strange, celestial, cosmic, and creation signs will cause people to feel very anguished and perplexed they will be fainting from terror, apprehensive of what is going to come. Now, because of these things, right, people are going to be very, very worried and scared, but they don't know what's happening. They're perplexed. But Jesus says at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now, here we see that this is actually the fulfillment of the Daniel 7 passage that we keep coming to when we keep looking at the book of Luke, right? Remember Daniel 7 is, is very important and keeps coming back to this phrase, the Son of Man? In my vision I, at night I looked and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will ne- not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so we see here, Jesus comes with the clouds of heaven. He comes in his, his identity as God, right? In divinity. He's received his power, his glory, and now he's bringing his dominion, his kingdom into the world. And so the nations are filled with fear and anguish at the coming of Christ and his kingdom, coming of God and power. But Jesus says when these things take place, the disciples, Christians, are to stand up and to lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, what do these physical postures mean to stand up and to lift 
your head. Well, usually if you're kind of like curled up, right, uh, you're kind of like in fear, right? But he says stand up confidently, right? Stand up with expectation, with, with assurance because your redemption is coming. He says lift up your head. Now, the only similarity I can think of is I have a pet dog, okay? And you know when he's scared, if you ever see dogs who are scared, you know, their tail goes between their legs and they kind of like put their head down, right? But Jesus is saying, no, lift up your head. Lift up your head in confidence and expectation. Because Jesus, as he brings his kingdom, as he comes into the world for us, your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is here. It's arriving, right? Now, this word redemption is really important. Okay, it's the idea of being released. You're no longer in bondage. You're set free. You know, it's associated to the payment of a price, right? It's like Jesus has paid a price to set you free, to release you, that you're no longer in bondage. Now, as we've been going through the book of Luke, in a sense, we are in bondage, right? We're in bondage to judgment, to sin. We live in a fallen world under the powers of sinful powers and persecution. But on that day, Christians are told to stand up and to lift up their heads with expectation and, 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 and confidence and assurance and joy even. Because on that day, Jesus comes to redeem us and to free us and to release us from the bondage of this oppression, from living in a world which is sinful, oppressed by Satan, of persecution, of the oppression of judgment itself. Now the passage then goes on and says, He told them this parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. You see there's a parallel happening here? Lift up your heads. Stand up because your redemption is drawing near. Even so, the kingdom of God is near. See, what's happening here is that we are released from bondage. We're redeemed to be brought into the kingdom of God when Jesus comes. When the Daniel 7 person comes with his dominion, with his power, with his kingdom, we are brought out of this world into the world of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, look, you've got to look around you, right? Just as the same way as those ancient Christians in Jerusalem saw the Roman centurions surrounding Jerusalem and realized, okay, now's the time to get out. In the same way, we have to look and watch out for, and prepare for the coming of Jesus. Now, in Singapore, obviously, we, we don't have four seasons, but I think we're quite good at seeing the weather, right? You know, you come out, you see dark clouds forming, okay, you think yourself, uh, better bring your umbrella, right? Or if it's a blue day, hopefully, it won't rain, right? Well, if you live in a country with four seasons, you know, when you come out after winter and you start seeing green buds on the trees, then you know summer is near, right? Summer is just around the corner. It's not going to be like months and months later. It's going to come very soon. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look, when you see these things happening, when you're looking out for it, you'll know the return of Jesus is very, very soon. Jesus then goes on to say, Truly I tell you, this generation will not certainly pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
Now, it's quite interesting, the words that Jesus uses in verse 33, right? He doesn't say heaven and earth can pass away, but he says heaven and earth will pass away. Now, that means that when Jesus comes again, the world as we know it will pass away. There is no permanence, in a sense, in the things of this world. The Great Wall of China, that will pass away. The Eiffel Tower, that will pass away. The Grand Canyon, that will pass away. The Marina Bay Sands, that will pass away. All the things of this world will pass away. But the Kingdom of God will come. But Jesus compares the heaven and earth which passes away with his words, right? My words will never pass away. That means Jesus' words have a permanence, right? A dependence, dependability on it, some immutability. And what he's really trying to say is his prediction, in a sense, will never fail. The end will certainly come. His return will happen. He will come with his kingdom. Redemption will happen. Because of that certainty, that permanence, that dependability then, Jesus then gives us two main applications, right? So before he, he told them to flee, to get out, to run away, right? But now for us, he gives us two main things that we have to do. And what are those two main things? Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. So this is the first warning, right? The first thing to watch out for. Be careful, be careful why, or your hearts will be weighed down. Okay, what does that mean, your hearts will be weighed down? It's the idea of um, how you're being burdened, right? Or something is draining your resources, something is taxing you, something is hampering you. And interestingly enough, it says your hearts will be taxed or, 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 or drained or weighed down with carousing and drunkenness. Now, you might say to yourself, it's okay, you know, I'm a teetotaler. I hardly drink at all, so this doesn't really apply to me. Right? But I think what Jesus is getting at here is not the very act of drinking and getting drunk, but the effects of carousing and the effects of drunkenness. It's the intoxication and the feeling of lightheadedness and disorientation that you get when you're partying or drunk. You know, it's like if you've ever been to a disco or, you know, party, all the bright lights, you know, it's like very disorientating, right? And especially when you pair it with drinking, it's even worse. Someone was telling me just a few days ago about the first time they ever got drunk. So apparently they went to a party at a friend's place, there was loud music playing, you know, it was very disorientating. And then they saw apple cider. But they didn't realize that actually that different sorts of apple ciders in the world, you know, there's the apple cider you can buy at the hawker center, which has zero alcoholic content. And alcohol, apple cider with like alcohol in it. So he's just sitting there drinking all this apple cider. And after a while, he realizes that, you know, he doesn't feel like himself anymore, right? He's like, his, his head is very light. He's very disoriented. He starts saying really silly things to people. And then afterwards, he can't even remember whether he asked the girl out or not. So, you know, that's what happens, right? It's like when you are drinking, partying, you're very light-headed. You're very disorientated. And that's what can happen, right? We're not prepared for the return of Jesus. We become very intoxicated, very light-headed. 
with all the enjoyment and the parties and the fun things in life, holidays and the hobbies, fine foods, great experiences, shopping and buying things. These are things that can make us very lightheaded and very intoxicated. So I remember many years ago, I actually had a good friend of mine from Helping Hand. Came out of Helping Hand and uh, he was quite a serious Christian. But after a few years, after leaving Helping Hand, I didn't see him anymore. And so I spoke to another one of the Helping Hand brothers. And I said, what happened to this guy? You know, he was a quite serious Christian and I haven't seen him for a long time. He's not replying to my WhatsApps. And this other Helping Hand brother said to me, oh, you know, his heart is somewhere else now. You know, he spends most of his time bike riding and uh, he also has uh, his dogs to look after. Uh, there's nothing wrong with bike riding. They're not, that's not sinful and looking after pets is also not very sinful. But it's just that he had become so, I guess, weighed down with just focusing on his bike riding, looking after his pets. He was no longer a Christian. He was not prepared anymore for the return of Jesus. Jesus goes on to also say, right, that people can be weighed down, their hearts can be weighed down with the anxieties of life. I mean, we can understand that, right? There's so many things that we can worry about and be weighed down about. Can weighed down by work, studies, money, health issues, family issues, social media. But all these things weigh us down, right? They drain our resources, they empty us of energy. So that the very end, because we are weighed down by these things, the day of Jesus' return closes on you suddenly like a trap. And you're not prepared for the return of Jesus. As a result, Jesus does not redeem you and you do not go to the kingdom of God. So that's the first warning. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down by these things. The second instruction or warning is be always on the watch, right? Be watchful. Be keeping your eye out and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now notice here, it doesn't say just be on watch and that's it, right? Be always on the watch and pray. Uh, technically, it could be an instruction of means, right? Always be on the watch by the means of praying or in order for you to pray, right? For the purpose of praying, always be on watch so that you can pray, that you may be able to stand and escape all these things which are about to happen. Now, I want us to focus, right, on the things we are to pray about. Pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. Now, within the immediate context, we're meant to escape the judgment that's to come. But don't forget, we started all the way from verse 5, right? So we are supposed to also pray about all the scam, imposter Jesuses that are coming. Pray that we will not overreact to all the disasters that we see. And pray that we can go through the persecution and bear witness for Christ. But I wonder whether we pray like that. Think about the things that you've been praying for this week. What do you pray for? If I reflect on my own thinking, I, I pray for very human things, right? Like health or other things or, you know. But do we actually pray for these things? Because Jesus says if we are watching out for that day, we will be praying for these specific things. We will be praying that we will not be 
seduced by wrong teaching. We will pray that we will persevere through persecution. We will pray that we will escape judgment. And we will pray that we will be able to stand before the Son of Man. See, this is the same word as before, right? When Jesus comes, He exhorts us to what? To lift our heads and to stand because our redemption is near. Oops. So what we see here is prayer is so important because our perseverance and our preparation for the day doesn't come from our own strength, right? Somehow, you know, we chong and then we are ready for the day. No, we need to ask God to help us to keep persevering, to escape all these things so that we may stand before the Son of Man. So these are the main two ways that we prepare for that day, the return of Jesus, the redemption of us from this sinful world, for the coming of the kingdom of God, the coming of Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? Are you being weighed down by intoxication and joy, all these things in the world, worries? And the day comes and you're unprepared. Are you praying for God to help you? to persevere to the very end. Now, in conclusion, I was thinking to myself, there's actually one thing in which we kind of like know fairly certain what's going to happen in the future, right? And that's when you book your, your airplane ticket for your holidays, right? Yeah, notice there are quite a few people not here today. I know where they are because I, I followed them up. Some are in Bangkok, some are in Hanoi, some are flying all over the world. They even bump each other into a Changi airport, apparently. Right? So you know when you're flying, and they keep telling you, okay, even like what time you need to get to the airport, right? Get to the airport 19 minutes before you take off, right? So you can check in, do immigration, all the stuff, right? So you know, if you book your tickets quite far in advance, you know months and weeks, one thing for certain, like on this day, your flight will take off at a certain time and you need to be at the airport. Interestingly enough, I actually know of some people who actually miss their flights. I don't know, do you all know anybody like that? I think you may lah. You know, people know weeks and months ahead of time when their flight will be, but somehow they can still miss their flight and still miss their holiday. Why is that happening? How does that happen? Because they're not careful, right? They're not watchful, they're like, weighed down, worried about all sorts of other things, or they got other things happening, then, hey, wow, I caught the taxi too late, or I did something else, I had something else, I, was I didn't finish packing, I don't then you miss your flight. Now, in a sense, that's sad, lah. but you can always book another flight and go on another holiday. But what Jesus is saying is, there is only really one world's end, right? There's, there's only one time where he will come, where he will redeem his people and bring them into the kingdom of God. And on that day, heaven and earth will be destroyed. We know that's true because he's already made one successful prediction, right? Jesus predicted the end of Jerusalem, 70 AD. The Christians of the time, they heeded Jesus' warning. They fleed, they went to Pella, and they escaped the destruction they rescued. In the same way, we are here today, March 2023, and Jesus warns of another certain end, the world's end, not just Jerusalem's end. We know that sometime in the future, whether it's far, far away, whether it's close, we don't really know. But we know it's going to happen. 
It's a certainty, right? Because Jesus has already said, this is going to happen. This is more permanent than the world itself, right? And so we need to re- prepare, right? We need to be careful not to be weighed down by intoxications and worries. We need to keep watch and pray to escape these things. So how are you prepared for this certain future that Jesus talks about? Are you doing these things? Are you careful not to be weighed down by all these things? Are you always on the watch and praying that God would help you, sustain you and keep you so that you will stand when Jesus returns? Let's bow our heads and go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to thank you that you've given us these words so that we may know the future. We thank you for the warnings that Jesus has given us so that we may know how to prepare for that day. Dear Father, we really want to ask with great earnestness because these are serious matters and we need to treat them seriously. We pray that you may help us to continue on in Christ, to be careful and not have our hearts weighed down with the intoxication, with the lightheadedness which comes with hobbies and enjoyments, with the pleasures that this world offers, that our hearts will not be weighed down with the worries of many things, even though they seem so urgent and so serious, but yet they may cause us to be unprepared for the day of Jesus' returns, that that day will close upon us suddenly like a trap. Dear Father, help us to be always on the watch and to be prayerful people, to be praying for your strength, to be helping us so that we may escape all that is about to happen, to escape the temptations of uh, the imposters that will come, who will draw us away from Jesus, uh, to escape the dangers of denying Jesus because of persecution, the dangers of being frightened by the things of this world, And most of all, that we may stand confidently in Christ when we see Jesus returns. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for the sermon. Uh, We now come to time of reflection and discussion. Uh, So let's take some time now to discuss and reflect on what we've just heard and discuss the following two questions. Number one, do I expect Jesus to return again? Why or why not? And number two, what do I need to do to prepare for his return? So let's take a few uh, minutes to discuss this and we'll get it back shortly. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.